guys and welcome to another episode of the other wrestling daves podcast i'm your host david rosenberg we're bringing you a special episode today where we got to interview sid udi you might know him as sid vicious sid justice or psycho sid our interview with sid was really special because it's our first guest on the show but i think it gives people a real chance to uh see what it's like from the perspective of guys in the business so i'm not going to spoil too much of the interview but i did want to let you guys know that the audio quality might be a little less good than you're used to because we did this over the phone and that's just what happens when you record over the phone but I really hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did because uh, Dustin and I were just kind of in shock when we got to talk to Sid for the first time and we calmed down before we did this interview but well you're just going to want to listen. Here's Sid. We are fortunate enough to be here with Sid Udi today. You might know him better as Sid Vicious, Sid Justice, or sometimes Psycho Sid. Sid, how is it going? It's an honor to have you here today. It's going really good, guys, and I appreciate you having me on tonight. Of course. Um, as always, I have Dustin Whitehead here at MichiganSportsAndEntertainment.com. Dustin, how are you? I'm doing good. It's to be a, it's a pleasure to talk to Sid and looking forward to picking his brain and seeing what he has to say about everything from his podcast to his book to his wrestling career. Absolutely. So let's dive right into things. Sid, you have a new podcast out called the Vicious Circle Podcast, right? Right. And I I think Dustin and I both have had a chance to listen to all six episodes. I don't know how many you have recorded, but there's six up there. Um, And, you know, they're an absolute listen, I think, if you're a wrestling fan, because it gives you, you know, Sid – lived it you know he can tell you exactly what happened and how it happened and there's millions of rumors flying on the internet about him and this is really how Sid tells it how it is is that right well it's not just that guys it's that of course it's easy to uh, um say things are about myself that aren't true and straighten them up I want to try to get everyone 
uh, not just by myself, but on all topics. Is I think it's something out there is not the truth, or it's a little exaggerated or way off the mark. I want to give the wrestling fans a real view of what it's really like and what it was like in you know different times in the business. You know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, so let's let's we'll hold off on the wrestling for just a little bit, even though I know that's what our listeners want to hear about. But Sid, you are in Arkansas now, right? Right, Mary in Arkansas. But you didn't start there. You, uh, you you were born, am I correct in saying you were born in Washington and then you moved around a little bit? Well, what happened, my father was in the Air Force. <clears throat> I was born in Moses Lake, Washington, an Air Force base. But <clears throat> seeing that was right back here, I actually lived literally one, two, one, a left turn, a left turn, and I'm right where I was when I was born. So uh, that's how far I've gone. Wow, so you are right where you started. And- I, I assume that's on purpose, right? You you, you, li- you like that area. Well, I do. I like this little t- town. There's not a lot of stuff here. We just got at Wendy's just a few years ago. It's, uh, it closes down on you know, the weekends and weekdays at sunset, and um, I like it like that. And, you know, if I can say so, I think uh, from listening to your podcast, uh, you know, a lot of the characters that you portrayed, you know, in, in various companies, you were always – sort of mean you were a heel you know you were a scary guy i mean obviously big in stature but from what i gather you you come from humble beginnings and you know you remember where you came from right this um that's what we're going it's going to be in my in my book i mean very normal writing um and that's what you know, people ask me this all the time they really get to know me you know for a few minutes <clears throat> so then you know i'm still talking to you said it's like you really seem like you're down to earth and, and what it comes down to guys that you know, just 15, 20 miles, you know, north of here is where my grandparents, great-grandparents were from, um, and, you know, they were sharecroppers, and I was pretty much doing the same thing right before I got into wrestling. I was just working on a farm. And um, so, to me, uh, and there's an old country saying, it's, it's called, don't get above your raising. And that means don't get too big for your bitches and things like that. And I think I've been able to at least, you know, Stay that old saying, don't get above your raising. Do, do you think yeah. that has something to do with how you uh, grew up? Because I'm sure you know you've met uh, way more wrestling personalities than I have. And some of those guys, uh, you know, they can get out of hand. What, what's kept you so even keeled, even tempered? I mean, you, you clearly have your head on straight, which is more than I can say for a lot of people in the business. Well, I, I think a lot of things then, the way I was raised. The other is that I've, talk, I've told people this. <clears throat> All the time, so I didn't get into the wrestling business because of wrestling fan. I got into it just for the money and for the business side of it. And so uh, maybe those reasons. Uh, one, that I, I never, you know, I didn't never think that much of myself. You know, uh, when I really, when people, I had a guy a couple of months ago I was at a Walmart. You know, this now this I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. It's a guy actually started crying. He was so excited to talk to me. And it wasn't in a, like a fan fan thing. It was just appreciation that I had done for him and his childhood, you know, being a wrestling fan. And so that to me is that's the part I always care about. But again, I don't think that much of myself, um, and sometimes I do. But again, I just got into the business side of things, and then uh, my upbringing. I, you know, I look at this as two guys. What it is, it's um, one step for me and out of a carnival, and. Um, it's not real, like baseball or football or, you know, boxing or something yeah. like that. So I couldn't take it that serious either. So 
um, again, it's just like I was just into it for the money side of things. And, you know, you yeah. just said that you, you didn't watch it growing up. Um, you played other sports, though, right? You, you were right. kind of like, uh, you know, nowadays, and I think you mentioned this on your podcast, that kids nowadays, uh, everyone, you know, pushes them to play different sports and be a multi-sport athlete. You you did that kind of before it was a thing, right? Well, I didn't just do it, guys. When I was growing up, um, not just me, everybody, you know, you just played every sport. I remember you couldn't play football or or anything else if you didn't run track, and I hated track. So, you know, and then it got after that, you know, for say the last 20 years or so, 25 years, it's got where people just want kids to play one sport. Now they're, they're going the other way where you see these commercial all the time, Wayne Gretzky and all these other athletes saying, hey, I was good at hockey or I was good at baseball because I played ping pong, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit of exaggeration, but still, you know, I mean, what made me, you know, I loved everything. I loved karate, boxing, you know, baseball, football, basketball. Uh, but the thing about it, guys, when you're playing sports, I don't know how many sports you guys play, it's not even fun until you start winning. You know, and when you start winning and dominating, it becomes fun. Yeah. And, sure. And, and so, but, go ahead. Yeah. From mm-hmm. listening to you talk, though, one thing is for sure is, Home is where the heart is, and that's definitely the vibe I get from you for sure. Right. Mentioning all these sports, by chance, did, do you have like a favorite one that you ever played, whether that be football, baseball, basketball, even because you're tall, you know? <laughs> well, that's a matter of, I guess really the one that I really would have loved to proceed would have been baseball. Baseball, interesting. Well, I mean, I know that you ended up uh, playing a little bit of softball, you know, whenever you had some free time, and that's one of the rumors that we'll kind of get to. Actually, we can get to that right now, Sid. I know there's those softball rumors out there, and I've seen articles and I've heard podcasts, you know, where you dispel some of the rumors that are going out there. Uh, do you want to talk about that at all? Real quick, what happened to guys when I had my long shirt in WCW, I went back to go, go back to work, and they saw that I was it still hadn't gained a lot of my weight back. So they said, just go back home and, and work out some more against me and weight back. I lost a lot of weight. And um, so that's what I did. And then I'm guessing on this part of it, um, this is before, of course, before cell phones and stuff. So, so somehow I got a phone call from the office. WCW said that I was in a lot of trouble. That, um, you know, rumor had it that I was playing softball. Of course, you know, of course I was. Because I was I was home, you know, but I was working out twice a day and running twice a day and doing everything I could, just playing the softball in the evenings, and um, so um, I don't know who spread that spread that, but I would guess it would probably been Jerry Lawler. He's doing one around here <laughs> in the wrestling business, you know. So he played some people, softball as well, right? Well, he, I don't know if you call it that. He sponsored some softball, but um, yeah. he's not really that great at it. But um. <laughs> Now, I'm not being mean, but he's not. He's just a short little fat guy. I mean, guys, just the thing is, in this situation, I hit so many home runs against his team. It's pathetic. But now, I can hit home runs left and right-handed, okay? And that's the truth. Um, so, yeah, and the thing about when I hit home runs, guys, I didn't count them unless they went over the light poles. You know? <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I really didn't count it um, because, I mean, to me, over the light poles meant at least it was 400 feet, you know, um, depending, I said some that were twenty, thirty feet above the light poles. Lord, yeah, so. But and again, 
that's, that, that's harder than that, that's harder than baseball, right? Because softball. Of course, yeah, because it, it picks up a lot of drag, being a much bigger ball. It didn't have the hardcore like the baseball does, and then um, it just that's all. Yeah. It, you know, I can just imagine you in your prime. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm not kidding. One time in the home run derby, I hit out of 10, I hit nine home runs, and they averaged 406 feet. Wow. Yeah, I was just going to say, though, I can just imagine at 6, 7, all jacked, and you just square up that softball. I can do that. I can definitely see those averages being more than correct. <laughs> well, this is the thing is, you know, I remember my last, you know, really competitive year playing. Um, I had more home runs than all other teams combined in, in, in the league. Well, it sounds like you should have been a softball player instead of a wrestler. Although I'm sure the wrestling wrestling was a bit more lucrative. Right, a softball you <laughs> just barely, you know. I played on a traveling team, and man, they barely. It was just. Barely got your room, a little gas, everything else you paid on your own, you know. All right. So we'll dive into the wrestling, and I'm going to send it over to Dustin. I'm sure he has a bunch of questions in just a second. But to kind of segue into that, I know you say, you know, baseball was probably your favorite growing up. But it wasn't it uh, while you were working out for, I think, the USFL that you right. met Randy and Lenny? Right. So that, that I love football too. Uh, boxing was a lot of fun too. I like karate. Basketball was one of the things I last picked up on. Um, I wasn't a great jumper until I got out of school, um, where I was, you know, sort of really pounding out the bleachers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, really on time I really dominated basketball was when we played these two or three or three or three games. Never a full court basketball player, anything like that. But the rest of the sports I really all enjoyed about the same. Baseball, I just remember. You know, picking up on it first as a kid, and you know, football and all the other things came after that. So that was a sport. I don't know. Just getting baseball was. Um, you had more games. It's, it's summer. It's, uh, life as a kid in the summer. There's just so many more things going for it. Yeah, I'm in Florida, so I, I pretty much had the opportunity to play baseball my entire life. So I definitely understand uh, that love for the game. You know, but Dustin, I know you have plenty of questions for Sid uh, regarding their actual wrestling. So let's get right to it. Yeah, but one second though. One similarity that uh, between wrestling in your day and and baseball is it's an everyday grind for the most part. So is that something that you feel like you were I don't know the right word like like not addicted to, but like yeah, the grind. I think you know? that's a good word. Yeah, that work addicted right? to it. You no, know? you know, when I played softball, I played on five or six different teams. I played every night of the week, and then I played on tournaments on weekend. You might play five or six games in a day. So wrestling was like that exactly. as well, you know. Uh, now wrestling, but it was, you know, every day you show it once a week, you got paid. So that's why it was an addiction. <laughs> exactly, for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, the switch to wrestling, like David said, uh, you're one of very few wrestlers to wrestle for the WWF, WCW, and ECW. Did you? And my question is, did you have, like, a favorite promotion of those three and a favorite boss, potentially? Well, the favorite place to wrestle was WCW for the most part. It wasn't, say, it was more financial reward and stuff like that. Now, working for the WWF, the reward there was you really got a chance to see who you were in the business and see if you could get a lot of money and sell tickets. So they both had their 
you know, addictions, um, but you had more fun in WCW, you know. Um, okay. And it also was like, yeah. it wasn't, was like a company. It was a great company. You know, they treated you like yeah. someone, you know, WWF, it, it really was, uh, WCW was a television company and WWF was a wrestling company and, and they really yeah. still had one foot still in the carnival, you know, days. Yeah, you got any thoughts about ECW as well, by chance? I liked ECW. You know, again, it was just a short-lived deal. I think I did two or three shots for them. Yep. Um, the thing about there, I couldn't ever work in a place like that. And even though it was a lot of fun, spitting and snotting on people, but it was a <laughs> nasty environment. Um, just nasty, yeah. nasty, nasty. I remember going to one of the buildings, going outside, and uh, there were just friggin' needles everywhere. Just, you know, again, it was just... Um, you know, it's it's fun to see that kind of stuff. I don't want to be in a locker room like that all the time, you know. Um, um, just, again, it's just nasty. You know, like yeah. that one guy, I can't think of his name, Paul's Mahoney. Yeah. I don't want to see anybody yeah. like that in the dressing room. You know, <laughs> I don't. You know, um, that, that was more than I ever wanted to see. And there was a bunch of stuff like that in ECW, you know. Yeah, it's unfortunate that he's passed away. Um yeah, I hate that too. I didn't know that, but I felt like we might have. Um, and that's just something too. Now, I, you know that you know that was um, that's a tough deal. That subject, you know, Balls Mahoney and so many of those guys passing away. Um, yeah. Um, uh, Rob Bellamy, my producer, was just a circle was pulling up that that website where all those guys died, and it was just I couldn't go through all of them. I couldn't I didn't have enough time to go through all the names. Well, no. it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that, Sid, because you know one thing that I noticed with, uh, you know, you, I, b- I believe you're in your late fifties, right? Right. And I, you know, I know. I think today, October ninth, when we're recording, is actually what would have been Eddie Guerrero's fifty second birthday. And you know, I can't help but notice that a lot of guys from that time, the time that you were working and stuff, whether it be drugs or you know steroids getting you know affecting their body and stuff like that, but a lot of them died. Very early, uh, you know. Well, you that's what found in good health. That's what the website said. I think it put it, um, what it said or suggested the title was that those that passed away before sixty. And when I was going down through all the things, you know, like you just mentioned, it said all those, you know, pieces of people passing away. But I think it leaned more towards, you know. Accidental overdoses and falls, you know, dying in your sleep, which would be an accidental overdose, and all uh, that was the, I think, the way the most. I don't think I've seen one. I knew I didn't see one that said steroid death. Uh, I don't think that actually, I don't think that happens very often. But um, I don't think it's happened. I haven't heard of any cases that actually died from just that. But you know, you see that where most of those guys again just they went to bed and didn't wake up. Um, of course, it probably was drugs, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious what you view as the Mount Rushmore of moments and maybe even competitors. Like, to summarize your career, like, four four things that you would just be like, if you want to know Sid Vicious's career, this is what you should go look at in the opponents, maybe, or moments, you know? I don't know about that, Dustin. Um Oh, four moments. Um, it could be opponents as well. It's just, you know, just... Well, this is the thing. When I think of the answer, something like that, would you shut up when I'm talking? <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
be trying to share that for a second. No, um, just to answer, the answer to that would be this, is that, you know, your moments in, are going to probably be with someone that you're working with, and I'll just give one because I don't want to drag this out. One of the ones moments that, to me, was the defining moment to me in my career um, was when um, working with Fader, and, and I worked myself into a position where they made me, which I never cared about being world champion, guys, because really being a world champion means you couldn't draw without a belt. Most of the times I do without a belt. Um, they haven't had the belt that one time. I didn't notice a difference in it. Um, but I worked myself so hard to get from a bad position with the company to where I forced them to make me champion because I was just had been not successful for drawing money and drawing with a very wide range of people. And the person, actually the two people who helped me get to that position was Bam Bam Bigelow and Vader, where I'd been working with those two guys for the last year or so. And we, we me and Bam Bam, for sure, and me and Vader as well, we used to have the best match of the night, no matter who was on. So after about a year or so of that, you know, they said, okay, we got to get sick. You know, even if we don't like him, we're going to push him. You know, so to me, that was the defining moment in my career. And that's why I look back as the most, you know, satisfying moment in my life. Yeah, that's very memorable for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, working with The Undertaker at WrestleMania 13, uh, can you just reflect on, like, to work with a man like that and the streak that he eventually had and the longevity of his career and just what you think about The Undertaker? I think Mark's a super nice guy. Me and him sort of started together about the same time, and we worked in Memphis territory a little bit, and then I went to WCW and had my injury. He came to WCW. When I came back, we rode together for a while. Um, you know, my hat's off to him. He's done a really great job for himself. But um, now we're both in different positions working for Vince where, you know, and this is I'm just trying to say this in a nice way, Mark was a really great talent. He had a lot of great things going for him. He didn't have some things going for him. So the one thing he had going for him all the time was he was a yes man. And um, that puts you in a good position with someone like Vince. You know, and I'm not trying to be, trying to take anything away from Mark or anything, but that character, a lot of people could have done that character. You know, uh, he didn't didn't have to do an interview, um, you know, didn't really have to work that hard, just not sell. So that's that's the truth. Uh, So by saying that, he really did really well for himself and, and my hat's off to him. Absolutely. I think we lost Dustin again, so we're just going to go on without him. I don't want to deal with technical difficulties when we have someone as a, you know, prestigious a name as you. So I'm just going to go ahead and finish up, uh, you know, the questions. I still got a couple of them. But I, one thing I wanted to bring up is you had a short stint uh, in New Japan. Is that right? Right. And I, I'm curious because, you know, today's product, uh, you know, and it's always kind of been this way, that the Japanese wrestling and American wrestling are, are very different things. Can you kind of speak about what it was like to go over there and, and you know, I guess be an American in Japan and how it was different? Well, this is this, you know, the matches over there are like just so rampant, so fast, on pace, a million spots and stuff like that. I never forget my first time. We had the senior powers and they brought a piece of paper me and um, it was, it was a, just a whole page of spots written up. 
And I said, man, I said, is this the whole match? And they said, no, that's just the finish. Oh, my God. Uh, I said, listen, I was just honest. Like, I've been doing Bozzy Mungus for last year before that, and I never had more than three, four-minute matches, you know, maybe not much more than that. And so I said, man, I'm just not going to be able to do this. So that's one thing. It's a, you hear about people going over there, and when they come back, they're much better workers. They have to be because there's so much more involved. You know, everything's more involved. The spots are more. Uh, the psychology's out the window, so you can do a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, now, coming back to the States with that, you have to, you know, harness things in, adapt them to, uh, you know, uh, to be able to work in the States. But usually when people want to go over there, they do pretty well now. I went over there, um, really take the place of Blizzard Brody. I was part of early to watch films and work in the dojo with the Japanese guys. And um, I'm going to tell you something, man. I was over three, four weeks early, then I had a six-week tour. I was so lucky. I was so grateful to get that spot at WCW. I didn't want to go back to Japan. Japan is a tough way to make a buck. Yeah. Um, it really is. You know, you, you the, you know, the food and everything is so expensive. Um, now, if I would right. ever had worked a deal with Japan or something like that, I might have just go for like a week at a time. I wouldn't want to go for four weeks or six weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting that you bring up, uh, you know, the, the booking and, and how they kind of, you know, run down every spot. Uh, you know, in the match and stuff, I know that uh, I'm not sure if it's still this way because obviously things have changed, but at least back in the day, the heels called the match and you were typically working as a heel. Did you prefer to, you know, just call it in the ring or did you like to run down things with guys beforehand or, you know, wh- what were your matches? How were they set up? Well, most, I mean, we're coming from the Memphis territory, we were taught, you know, to call the thing as you go in the ring. Um, a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. I mean, it's a lot easier to go through the spots, and, you know, beforehand. But in the WWF and WCW as well, you know, it's not like a small territory like Memphis. Once you get in there, you get a match done. You might have that same match for six months because you don't go to the same town. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, again, it's, um, it's, it's, it's different in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um Let's talk a little bit about uh, Vince McMahon, if you, if you can. I mean, I, you know, there's a million tales out there about what it's like working for the man. And I don't know, did you get a chance to work with Vince Sr.? Yeah. No, 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 I did not. No, I did not. Okay. So w- what was it like uh, working with, you know, Vince McMahon, the junior, the juggernaut that he is in this wrestling industry? You know, it was, um, again, I've looked at this differently than anyone else. I looked at this as a business now. You know, a passion, and I looked at Vince like I would anyone else. I didn't let him bother me. Um, you know, he was the boss as far as it went. I wasn't going to put my head up his ass to be a friend to him. So, um, and when you do it, when you sort of take that stance, you're sort of taking a stance against him. So I was pretty much, you know, knuckle to knuckle with him all the time. So, but we still had a, a, I think, a decent relationship. He knew I was the way I was, and and he was the way he was, and 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 I, I think we both got to the spot, and I, I was never comfortable like this, but I think we both were, we couldn't be trusted. I don't think Vince has ever been able to be trusted. So, um, and that's just being honest. So, and then I got where I did things I wouldn't normally have done in the business, you know, uh, just because I felt like it was the only way I could, you know, get my point across. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, did that play into, uh, you know, you left WWF and you returned to WCW. I mean, was it, I know you've described WWF as sort of the carnival side of 
wrestling. Was it was it that, or was it Vince? Was it the guys you were working with? I mean, what what led to that departure? Well, when I went there, it said just as it was just, you know, what we had said was going to happen to what happened. None of it happened. And after a while, I just had my feeling. I just told you, I said, man, mm-hmm. I can't take this. And, you know, at the Royal Rumble, Hogan got booed, and he screamed in the back in the back and carried on like he did. I just said, you know, I can't and do not want to be a part of something like this. And offered Vince a handshake, and he wouldn't give me a handshake. And, you know, I just said, man, I, I got to go home. And, then, and I told him, I, I told him, I said, man, I'm not ready for this place. I want it. Um, now I went back the second time the cycle said it was under different circumstances. Yeah. I was forced to be there. So, um, again, that's why the deal with Fader and Shawn Michaels and Bigelow meant so much to me. Cause I was on a whipping post guys and they were going to whip me down till I was never going to get up. And I did get up and I got off that whipping post and I turned the business around. I feel what anyone says. Anyone there knows that. So I don't have to make that up. And, um, that to me is, pretty satisfying absolutely did you prefer uh you know obviously you know you had the lord humongous gimmick uh to you know to start with and i know that your uh, i think your son actually ended up working that gimmick at, at a certain point but you know out of all the gimmicks you know sid justice psycho sid sid vicious was was vicious your favorite and was it because you got to be the heel that you wanted to be right it's Sid vicious you know and this is a great thing about working with dexter you get People like Dusty, Oli Anderson, and um, Kevin Sullivan, and um, on and on and on. Uh, uh, and then Eddie Gilbert, who probably has more to do with me becoming the person that I became, uh, for sure. And then when you're in a place like that, you get to, you know, like this elite wrestling, my understanding. The great deal about that organization versus Vince is you get to be yourself a little bit. Well, mm-hmm. you know, Vince and them are just, and I've worded it like this, is that, they're telling all their talent to get on this line here and into the races and come up there and all just stop at the same spot. Well, doing that, you're not going to find out who's going to, you know, excel and be your top draw. Well, you know, and I think that's one of the problems they have with that territory right now. You can't put a finger on who's your best talent. Um, and I think some of the talent too has got them in a position where they can't use people right. And I don't know if, again, I'm watching everything from a distance. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, you mentioned Eddie Gilbert, and I know that you've described in the past that Eddie kind of uh, took your hand and walked you to success and that you right. think you could do that. You know, you've talked about WWE approaching you in like a trainer role, working at the PC and things like that. And you're not interested in that. But the, where you do think you could excel is in the writer booking position. Right. Uh, right. And, and you said that you could do what Eddie did for you. So I, I'm wondering, is there a talent out there today um, or maybe several talents that you like have in mind when you say that. You know, they over the last couple of years, the WWE has it made suggestions to me. Like for some reason, they were interested in me helping Ray Wyatt. Ray Wyatt. Um, I was watching him just the other night. This new deal they're doing. You know, this is not. This is me just guessing. I'm not for sure. 100. You know, I'm not 100 percent right on everything I talk about. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Bray Wyatt. I know that you don't follow the current product so closely, but did you have a chance to, uh, you know, hear about what happened at Hell in a Cell this weekend? No, I didn't. So basically what happened was 
Bray Wyatt, who's working that Fiend character that you talked about, uh, went up against Seth Rollins, who's, you know, the Universal Champion, in a Hell in a Cell match, and it ended up uh, ending in DQ, which kind of set the fans off, ne- you know, now, and, and they're rioting, and, you know, there's all these things on social media, like cancel the WWE Network. Uh, my question for you is, you know, how different was it back in the day? I mean, the, the crowd reactions that you got were, you know, in the building, and that's where you heard it. There wasn't social media. Well, no, there wasn't. And I don't know. Sometimes I think social media might do a, do a bad a, a disjustice to the business. And I'm sure they do. And sometimes I'm sure they do help the business out. Now, this Wyatt family was coming out to that music and the candles and the the land and all that. I thought they were cool. Mm-hmm. The thing I saw with him the other day with that cartoon skit says this to me, and I don't know if you know this, we're going to refurbish or we're going to revamp Bray Wyatt. Well, they've done, done that two or three times, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then they, they had him with the Black family, then they had him with uh, one of the Hardy guys, right? Yeah, I mean, he's worked, he's been kind of bouncing back and forth, and I, I don't really know why. Well, that's what I'm getting to. When you revamp or redo somebody's character that many times, I'm going to say most of the times that third or fourth character doesn't get over near as much as the first character did. So, you know, when I see they're doing that to, to him, tells me they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's pretty simple, man. You had a guy that was over. He wasn't – he didn't have the greatest body. He had a, a really great work. He was a real aggressive and – he did some few things, you know, really good. I just needed to. I don't know this either. No, don't know if he could have been the next big heel in this business. Uh, for not for because of what his limitations is, what they've done to him. When again, when you revamp someone, refurbish someone this many times, you know, you know, years ago, you would have gotten your notice by now, saying, "Man, we've done everything we can with you. You know, this just isn't working anymore." You know, mm-hmm. meaning like this, when you see somebody leaving the territory, be, you know, um, stretcher match or a loser leave town or I quit match or, you know, and the, the ultimate blow off was, you know, you lost your hair match. Yeah. You know, so again, that's not where they are with Clay White right now. He's in his did your hair match situation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, going in a bit of a different direction, uh, you know, things were. I want to say, you know, the workers were a little more stiff back in the day, and I think that was a good thing. You know, it added to the realism of the match. It made you buy it because every now and then, you know, a a receipt was sent, um, you know, a stiff blow was just in there, and it really made the fans buy it. Do you think that that's changed and that they're working, I don't want to say a softer style, but for lack of a better word, a softer style? You know, honestly, I didn't really think about that. You said that I don't see anything like you know, where you go, wow, that, that was a really good something. You don't see it anymore. You see it with what I think is a safer or just as dangerous way of doing these, you know, these this aerobatic stuff they're doing off the ropes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's cool looking too, but nothing, of course, you don't see any, I don't know, um, like for instance, I'll just use this out because I know this is pretty on the mark. Like when I used that finish the power bomb, you know, the first few years, people really bought that thing and then, when everybody started using his high spots, everybody it didn't get over anymore. I just don't know if the situation might be where, you know, they've done all these big moves like 
you know, just keep it generic, clothesline, power slam, power bombs, you know, um, jackknives, blah, blah, blah. And then so after that becomes the norm, it's sort of hard to figure out something new. Um, so maybe that's what it is, baby. We just want our things to do, you know. To Now, I, I have seen this AEW wrestling look that I'm watching as we're talking now. Do they do some things that you go, wow, I haven't seen that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, they're working new. Yeah, so I, I like the direction they're going in right now. They all make a lot of mistakes as well, but um, that's just normal for anything, you know. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I forgot to – I wanted to actually open up this call talking a little bit uh, about your family because uh, you've described your wife as, you know, the biggest, the best support system anyone could have. And, you know, you're one of the few people – I think in this business that uh, <laughs> has remained with the same woman for, you know, decades. Uh, can you right. talk about her a little bit? Well, that's just really what you just said, man, is that um, we're going to find people in our lives and you know, get lucky. And I got really lucky with her when I found her, you know, um, one, she's not a jealous person. She's, of course, she's a, she doesn't have to be. She's one of the most beautiful women in the world. Um, but she, um, not being jealous, and she really has her head on her shoulders and her feet on the ground. She's got, come from a really great family. Her father, Bobby S. you know, I don't think I've ever met any greater human beings, you know, his mother and his brothers and um, his sisters, all the people in his family, just really great, great, great people. And her grandmother, his mother was the ideal person for the grandmother. You couldn't find a better grandmother to have. And so, she was lucky on that part, too, where she had good family as well. So both of us having a pretty decent family like that, keeping us grounded, we kept, you know, we had some things in common like that. And then, then we did have a lot of things in common, which is good, which I wasn't a real jealous person. She wasn't. So the business never got to her. And so we kept things, you know, family really simple. We just didn't bring our family around the business, you know, because it's not something you want to do. And, and my family and the business has always been separated, and that's why I try to keep it. Well, it's interesting that you say that you keep them separated because, you know, you hear stories about guys like Ric Flair who really lived his gimmick because, you know, you didn't know where he stopped, you know, where he started and where he stopped. Was it ever difficult for you? Because, you know, you at least worked in the times, uh, at least part of the time, where kayfabe was alive and well. You know, you couldn't exactly travel with, you know, the person you were working against. Did you ever have trouble separating Sid Vicious from Sid Udi? No, the thing about it was this. I, I told my friends all the time, I, was, you know, I don't want to be seduced. I just want to be seduced. Um, so I'm, that was easy for me to be able to separate the two. And never, like, for instance, I've never, some people um, being in the business and, you know, all of a sudden when they got that little bit of a push or got that one break, and sometimes it wasn't that big of a break. It was just like a, um, you know, it just might have went over in a match or, um where a guy might have got a, a new look, you know, uh, and I won't go into names right now. I remember one guy got a new look one time, and um, he sort of screwed it up for himself because he got so cocky, the thing didn't get over, and they put him right back, and they revamped him again. And every time he got revamped, it, you know, he becomes less and less of the person he was the first time. So, and then you see people who've got their first championship or something like that, where they actually start walking down the hall and act like they don't know you anymore. And that's, to me, that was shocking, thinking, you know, you know, hold on, for, you know, this is fake. All of a sudden, you think this much of yourself. So, you know, go back again. Don't get above your raising, and that's the way I look back at things. I just never got above myself. Yeah, I totally get that. 
Uh, you suffered, you know, multiple injuries in your career. I know that part of your lung was removed, and that's actually, uh, you know, when, you know, you took a break. Um, and, I, and, I, and I've read at certain points, I don't know if this is true, but that you seriously pondered retirement, uh, you know, kind of early on when some of those injuries happened. What kept you going? Was it the money? Well, honestly, I looked at it as, as like a vested interest. You know, I've already, you know, lost part of my lung. I made it back from that. They said I wouldn't make it back. And then I said, okay, I've got to stick this out, you know. And then being competitive, you know, um, I told myself this, you know, I'm going to be one of the best of everything. I'm going to be, I'm going to, I didn't really know much about some things visit, but I knew if you drew money and if you got over and, you know, and if I did all these things right, I could be the best that I could be and put myself in the top five of all the time in the business. And I think I'd come close to doing that uh, as far as being drawing money for my whole career. I don't think anyone did that any better than I did. You know, <laughs> from my first match with uh, Austin Idol against Nick Barkley and Jerry Law, I main event my first week in the business. So then I ended my career in main event. So I don't know many people were main event almost their whole career, you know, um, maybe Hogan. You know, other than that, I don't know any other people that did that. Now, the difference between Hogan, I don't think I was more successful. He had that one run with WWF, and after that, he was just sort of just there, you know, not really doing that much. Yeah, for um, sure. You know, so I had, you know, a bunch of runs. There one that was a failure. The first Psycho Sid, that's when I was on that whipping post, and I'm not making excuses, but you can't do anything when you're not getting a chance to do anything. But, again, testament to my hard work and, Believing in myself, I got off that whipping post because of who I am and who I was, and, and forced their hands to, you know, use me in the best way that I could be used. And again, that's why, I like, to me, I look back on that, and that means more to me than anything. You know, I was making four times the money at WCW. I was making for Vince. That money didn't mean as much to me as beating Vince that way. Not beating Vince, but beating the business. You know, all the naysayers. You know, we got to sit on the whipping post. He's not getting off of it. And, and I did, and but it had to have, I had to have help, and the help came from Bam Bam Bigelow, where they were trying to criticize and saying I didn't know how to work anymore. Well, we were in England, and uh, we got this match down. Me and Colette helped me, taught me how to take a turnbuckle again. I swear, forgotten. And um, me and Bam Bam started that night at the Royal Albert Hall, and from that night the whole tour, we get back to the states. Now I'm one of the greatest workers of all time. So I know I'm a pretty good worker. I don't have to be told that. So. With him and then working with Vader, who, in my opinion, top two to three hardest workers in the business of all time, you know, that made it easy for me, you know. And then I've had the experience I had in early in my career where I was held hand, you know, and, and walked right to, towards success. I know how – I knew how to get to success. So – and I did that pretty much on my own, you know. So I didn't need um, – the machine of the WWF behind me. I did it on my own. You know, you you mentioned that you know you were on you were on top for a lot most of your career. You know, and the whole career, it wouldn't most of it. I was on top the whole time. And I think that one of the things that really you know put you up there was that yeah, you were a heel, but you were a heel that we wanted to see win. And you know, when you talk about guys like that. You know, the first one that probably comes to mind is maybe Steve Austin, but you were kind of Steve Austin with the black vest, you know, before Steve Austin was Steve Austin. No, so, no, so I was, I was the character that Steve Austin became. Uh, um, I'm the one that started that deal. I'm the first one that worked actually 
with baby faces, heels from night to night. He never really did that. He worked really clean us with his heels. What I did, he he didn't duplicate and couldn't duplicate. Um, and I, the thing was, when I got there with the black vest and black boots and black tights, he had a stupid diamond belt. And then all of a sudden, when I got over, he went to a black vest, which it doesn't matter. Um, but again, you know, he, that was his only run in the business on top, okay? I started my whole career on top. And that's the big difference between me and Steve Austin. Absolutely. Uh, you know, looking at your, you know, your first, when you broke into WCW, um, you were paired with Dan, Danny Spivey uh, as, you know, the skyscrapers. Did you, how how did you like working in a tag team versus working alone? Well, I was told this, you know, that they're going to put me, they put me in that tag team for, for a reason. They're going to teach you how to get over And Dan is a great teacher. He taught me how to get over. He taught me how to get help other people get over. He taught me how to get my heat and how to be strong and be, you know, everything that I became later. So that was a big part of that whole, the whole deal. If I didn't have Danny, you know, pretty much he did his Eddie ask and that's hold Sid's hand and teach him how to get a real car, teach him how to get from town to town. And Danny did all that stuff for me. Um, so again, I was pretty lucky when it came to you know, being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's about all the questions that I have for you, Sid, but uh, I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit more about the Vicious Circle podcast and that book you're writing. What can fans expect, and how can they check out what you're doing? Well, what you do is you pull up Vicious Circle, I think, what is it, on uh, iTunes? Um, it's definitely available on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts. So, and again, if you just Google it, it comes up, Vicious Circle, I think it's one other thing, you know, I'm on my cell phone, so I don't. I can't look at the. Uh, what is the other one? Um, anyway, it's pretty easy to find, and uh, we're going to do more podcasts, and you know, every, almost every night we can, you know, talk about it. And then the book's called Poetry in the Sand. Barry Norman is my author. Um, he's going to be coming here in a couple of weeks, and we're going to really start nailing this thing out. I think that's going to be maybe the greatest thing I've ever done, um, because I, and I say this, you know, not to be bragging or anything, but. I think my whole life has been pretty cool uh, from a kid on up to the wrestling side of it. I think that part of my life was just as much fun to talk about as the other. And, I, and being that, I think it's going to make for a book that no one else has had or put out. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with you there. I can confirm by listening to those podcasts that I think, you know, they're only 30-minute episodes, but they feel like two-hour episodes because you you managed to, I mean, as you did in this interview, you managed to get in so many stories and so much content about, you know, the amazing thing that really has been your life and you're humble about it, which makes it easy to listen to. Uh, so definitely check out that podcast. Uh, Sid, no, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. Hopefully we can have you on again some other time if you're willing. Yeah, it'd be great. I'd, I'd love to come back to time. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sid. I really can't thank you enough. And we hope to well, talk to you Well, thank you. If you want to, sometimes you can do a call on our show. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'd be, I'd certainly, I have Steve's number, so I can get in contact with him. No problem. Okay, man. Well, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Sid. All right, guys. I am back. I know you heard that Dustin got dropped off the call at a certain point, and we had to go on without him, and 
that's just what happens when you have technological issues and a guy like Sid Udi on the phone. But man, some of those stories were just absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, everything that Sid had to say from softball to, you know, working in the ring stiff, it, I, I just found it to be incredible. And I hope you guys enjoyed this as much as we did doing it. And hopefully we're going to have some more people coming to you soon. We'll talk to you again after a while.